was proved in liberating strife who more than self their country loved America, God shed his grace on thee, and crown thy good with brotherhood, from sea to shining sea. Happy birthday, America. Happy Independence Day, and welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Tonight, Biden wants to block out the sun. Coke in the White House? Mm, no surprise there. And New York is monitoring your meat. <laughs> no, I'm serious. They're watching your meat, so hide your meat. <laughs> we got it. All that plus a very special tribute to America coming up later on in the show oh i'm not going to get through it it's just i'm just not going to make it right now let's get on with our facebook uh, miko update yeah i'm i say facebook because that's where we get most of the pictures from and this is her just uh, an hour ago we gave her one of her favorite treats a duck neck i know that's gross the neck of a duck but you know hey at least they're using all the parts of the animals when they slaughter them for food and she loves it it's crunchy and it's disgusting but it's all been dried out and it's kind of yummy and uh, so she likes it that's a very innocent looking face and this is little crumbs here of the duck neck which she will completely finish and once again just like her tennis ball if you try and take it from her, she will bite your face off. Our Miko update is brought to you by BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O. If you use that link, sign up for a multi-month subscription at BarkBox. You'll get a free month. Wow, an entire month free. And what BarkBox is, is a subscription service for your dog. And every month, you'll get a new themed box, uh, two toys, two bags of treats, and a dog chew. And they are sized right for your dog. You can specify small, medium, or large. If your dog has any allergies, just let them know, and they'll make sure you don't get that. Their dog treats and dog chews are made from all natural ingredients. They are 100% absolute high-quality stuff. And the toys specially designed sized right for your dog it's a great great service they really have they have a hundred percent happiness guarantee that means you or the dog is not happy with anything get a hold of customer service they'll do everything in their power to make it right hundred percent happiness guarantee use our special link it is down there in the show notes but it's easy to remember barkbox.com slash miko M-I-K-O, and that will get you our special deal. All right. Before we get into 
all the headline stuff tonight, and we will very shortly get into it. I wanted to just briefly read you something that I found, and I thought it was fascinating. This, obviously, is a copy of the Declaration of Independence, the day we celebrate today when it was signed. But have you ever wondered what happened to those 56 names at the bottom of that page that signed the Declaration of Independence. Their stories are incredible. Five of the signers were captured by the British as traitors, tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the Revolutionary War. They signed and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor. What kind of men were they? Well, 24 of them were lawyers and jurists, 11 merchants, 9 farmers, large plantation owners, men of means, well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence, knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. Carter Braxton from Virginia, a wealthy planter, trader, saw his ships swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and his properties to pay his debts, and he died in rags. Thomas McKean, so hounded by the British, he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay, and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions taken from him, Poverty was his reward. Vandals or soldiers or both, they looted the properties of Ellery, Claymer, Hall, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr., another signer of the Declaration of Independence, noted that the British General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters. The owner quietly urged General George Washington to open fire. The home was destroyed, and Nelson died bankrupt. Francis Lewis had his home and properties destroyed. The enemy jailed his wife, and she died within a few months. John Hart, driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying, their 13 children fled with their lives. His fields, gristmill, laid to waste. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home to find his wife dead and his children had vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion and a broken heart. Norris and Livingston suffered similar fates, and such were the stories and the sacrifices of the American Revolution. These were not wide-eyed, rabble-rousing ruffians, they were soft-spoken men of means and education. They had security, but they valued liberty more. Standing tall, straight, unwavering, they pledged for the support of this declaration with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That from the signers of the Declaration 
of Independence. Wow. Brilliant. Great post. And uh, yeah, I just, I wanted to share that with you because a lot of people just, you know, they know John Hancock and Adams and the famous ones, but every one of those 56 men who signed that uh, Declaration of Independence gave up so much for what they were willing to die for, for the formation of this amazing country, the absolute best country on earth. Unless Joe Biden has his way. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Didn't Bill Gates try and suggest this ridiculous asinine idea a while ago? I'm pretty sure he got shut down. Well, now that rotting bag of flesh in the White House is, according to this headline from the post-millennial, open to the idea of blocking the sun to fight the myth of climate change. Look at this freak. Seriously. The White House released a report suggesting a process to block some of the sunlight coming into the atmosphere. That is just the most dumbest effing idea I I have heard. Well, not in my life, but it's on the top three. Stratospheric aerosol injections. You know all those conspiracy theories about chemtrails? That's what this is. Maybe needed to curb the effects of the fake myth of climate change. It means limiting the sunlight in order to cool the earth. You start screwing with a system that works perfectly well, and you're going to suffer the consequences of that. We need to fight this, my friends. Use that link to contact your representatives in my show notes. It's always there at the bottom of in today's show with all the links to what we're talking about. The last link down. That is a website that will tell you who represents you and how to get a hold of them. Use it. The report noted that volcanic eruptions are natural analogs for SAI, which is stratospheric aerosol injection. They shoot ash and particulate into the air, which does blot out the sun. And the Biden administration says it's promising. Yeah, well, let Mother Nature do that, okay? She's been doing just fine for, oh, say, several hundred million years without your damned help, you idiot. This uh, this similar concept floated in an episode of The Simpsons, if you'll remember. Mr. Burns launched a plan to blot out the sun so people would be forced to concern, uh, consume his energy. Unbelievable, this idiot. The report details that SRM cools the climate by reflecting solar radiation back into space. Although it doesn't indicate a policy position of the executive branch, it is a response to the congressional directive to research the possibility. Okay, so here's what you do. You say, hey, is it possible that we could put stuff up into the stratosphere and blot out the sun without affecting all of the climate on Earth in a negative way? No, you can't. So give it the hell up. Thank you. Have a nice day. Move along. These idiots are not going to stop. 
And this whole climate change crap is just a complete myth anyway. So you do you. Knock this crap. Seriously, folks, get a hold of your representatives and tell them how you feel about this. Because they are mucking around with Mother Nature. Mother Nature does not take well to that at all. Next thing you know, there'll be snow in the White House. What? Snow in the White House? Yes. The White <laughs> Now there's a segue. There. Hey, you know, how about a round of applause for the best segue I've ever done on this show? White House evacuated after cocaine hydrochloride was found on the grounds. Uh, Joe Biden took his son Hunter, speaking of cocaine, uh, to Camp David for two straight weekends. The dynamic duo traveled on the Marine One helicopter. The U.S. Secret Service rushed many outside the White House on Sunday, yesterday, or sorry, two or three days ago, uh, after it came across was what was initially identified as an unknown item. Hmm. The Secret Service Uniform Division officers located an unknown item on the White House complex, and as a precaution, they evacuated the White House grounds. Brought in hazmat. The D.C. Fire Department's hazmat team responded. This is them showing up there outside the West Executive Wing, or the West Wing. A hazmat team deployed around 18th Street and Central uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, Secret Service moving in to close off paths surrounding the White House. And they didn't say much more about the discovery. Uh, but apparently it was determined. Uh, now a newly leaked audio clip reportedly coming from the District of Columbia Fire and Medical Emergency Services Department has revealed the previously unknown substance tested positive for cocaine hydrochloride, a form of cocaine which is often used to help numb the inside of your nose before a procedure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what it was doing there. I saw a report somewhere that uh, apparently Biden's staff, all of the Biden administrations, apparently have drug, drug-fueled parties all the time. And the custodial services job is to go in and clean up after them, including all the drugs. Apparently this time, looks like they missed some. And of course, you know, Hunter's been spending a lot of time at the White House too. I'm sure that might not have anything to do with it, given his uh, propensity towards the powder. Mm. Yeah. All right, so it is the 4th of July. Are you having a cookout? Mm? Why wasn't I invited? Huh? If you're having a cookout this 4th of July, you're spending 15% more, thanks to that same idiot I was just talking about. Since Biden took off his 4th of July cookouts, now, they do this every year, the cost of an average cookout meal, it is now 15% more, a double-digit increase in the cost of ground beef to make hamburgers has contributed to the overcost of a red, white, and blue cookout. Information obtained from the American Farm Bureau on specific item price changes in 2021, 
The White House touted a decrease in 4th of July cookout price by 16 cents. Woohoo! Hot dog, the Biden economic plan is working, said the White House in a tweet. But this year, not so much. When compared to costs cited by the White House from the AFB's list in 2021, it's $40.90, a 15% increase. You happy with that? (laughs) The biggest price change for any item is a cookout staple ground beef, your hamburgers. 30% 30% increase since 2020. Oh, my God. Wow. Beer and other alcohol drinks, 13% increase. Hot dogs, 14%. Chicken, 21%. Steak, 16%. So, your cookouts this year, enjoy them. But you're going to pay more for them. And you know who you can thank for that. Yep. You might, however, want to be careful if you're in New York and you're thinking about having some meat because New York is tracking your meat. Yep. I'm telling you. Did you, did I not tell you? Digital ID climate change, climate passports. They're going to limit you. They're going to watch what you do. Central bank digital currency so they know what you buy. When you hit your limit, you you just can't buy it. It won't let you pay for it. New York is going to be tracking residents' food purchases and placing caps on meat served by public institutions. They begin tracking your carbon footprint for household food consumption and putting caps on how much red meat can be served as a part of the sweeping initiative to achieve the ridiculous 33% reduction in carbon emissions, which is complete bullshit, means nothing, and has absolutely no effect on the environment. That's been proven time and time again. Just look it up. This is all a part of this 2030 crap. They'll begin tracking the carbon footprint of household food consumption and limiting your red meat purchases. The idiot mayor of New York, a man who never met a television camera he didn't like, Eric Adams, representatives from the mayor's office of food policy and the mayor's office of climate and environmental justice these stupid names they make for these things. Uh, They announced the new program last month, just before Earth Day. The mayor's office, Climate and Environmental Justice, shared a new chart to be included in the city's annual greenhouse gas inventory. The city already produced emissions data for energy use, transportation, and waste as part of the annual inventory, but... They've added these household food consumption. How are they going to know what you buy? There's going to be some digital currency, some climate change, greenhouse, carbon emission, footprint, passport crap. 
He says it's easy to talk about the emissions that's coming from buildings and how it impacts our environment. But now we have to talk about beef. And I don't know if people are ready for this conversation. No, they're not ready for that conversation, you moron, because it has absolutely no, zero, kosong, zilch, nada effect on what doesn't matter anyway, the carbon emissions, which have no effect on the planet. You're full of crap. Go away. Once again, if you're in New York, Find out who represents you and let them know that this bullshit has to stop. New York's first. Who's next? You know it's going to be somebody. Some other. It'll be pro- probably L.A. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, my. Blackout Coffee, one of our sponsors here on the Jay Sheldon Show. The best small batch coffee you are going to find anywhere. Blackout Coffee is absolutely amazing coffee. And they are a company that 100% supports our American values, our conservative values. This Blackout Coffee company is absolutely incredible. And they do, look here, supports the troops at work, on duty. Coffee for America's warriors. Look at this. The troops there are first responders. They make, see this, 1776 coffee? There's a 2A blend of coffee, and no, that's not a rating. That stands for the Second Amendment. Blackout coffee is absolutely, hands down, the best coffee you will ever taste. They go through all kinds of quality checks and controls. Premium-grade green coffee beans grown at the perfect altitude, correct time of year, best soil, harvested at just the right time. They work with local co-ops, all-American-grown, all-American companies, and they grow this high-quality coffee adopt strict adherence to small batch roasting for their coffee. What you wind up with <clears throat> is a coffee that is amazing. I promise you, you will love this company. And this owner of this company, this guy cares about two things, the United States of America and making a damn good cup of coffee. And that's exactly what he's done you go to that link in our show notes down there it's a special link it'll get you a special deal and you will get yourself another great discount at checkout from your first order 20 percent if you use the promo code j20 promo code j20 at checkout and you will get 20 percent off your first order blackout coffee a company that not only values our conservative beliefs and uh, our American values, but also makes the most incredible cup of coffee. All right. Thank you, Blackout Coffee. Appreciate it. And I need another sip. Mm. All right. Seriously, try Blackout Coffee. You will not be disappointed, and you'll be supporting a fantastic American company. You ready for Threads? What? You haven't heard of Threads? (laughs) You're going to... Zuckerberg's brand new social network that he thinks is going to compete with Twitter. Mm, Good luck with that, Zuck. Threads is what it's called. And if you sign up for Threads, you can just kiss all your personal data goodbye. 
Yeah. If you sign up for Threads, here is their app privacy policy, which you will never read. You'll just click yes, agreed. The following data may be collected and linked to your identity. Health and fitness. What the business is that of yours? I know, marketing. But they'll have it. Financial information. <laughs> Seriously, uh, contact info, user content, browsing history, user data, uh, usage data, diagnostics, purchases, where you're located, con contacts. So all your friends will not be safe either. Look, if you're my friend over there on Facebook or Twitter, you follow me over there, please don't join threads. I don't want my information out there. Search history, identifiers, sensitive information. Gee, I wonder what that could mean. Sensitive info. And, well, here's one that covers just about everything else. Other data, which means absolutely any freaking thing they want. My friend Alio posted a tweet just before I came on the air. I said, so how many people are going to be signing up for Zuckerberg's new Threads social media uh, system? And I said, touches ground to temperature check. Nope. Hell hasn't frozen over yet, so I won't be joining. Take a look at that. The link's in our show notes to that tweet. That's the data that you will be giving up when you sign up for threads. So you might just want to think about it a little bit closer before you uh, jump in. All right. Let's see. We got the land down now. Yes. We're back to net zero again. Here we go. The WEF, the World Economic Forum, those Nazis, the arrogance of these people is astounding. It is amazing. This is a quote, and I'm going to play you the video in just a second. In order to achieve net zero, we will have to use a mixture of carrots and sticks, but we're likely to see more sticks. Yeah, they are openly threatening us now. Listen to this. We are, broadly speaking, agreed that we need to get on track towards a, a net zero, climate safe and nature positive future. But we know this will not be easy. Um, and we're going to need to change behaviors of both individuals, but also the way that our industries and corporations and also our governments work and practice. We're going to need to do this through a mixture of carrots and hopefully uh, perhaps not so many sticks um, and, and some kind of mix. And there's a very active and live debate as to how we go about this. Um, but we're likely to see an increasing move towards more stick-like interventions into the future as things worsen if we're not able to act. Yeah. So basically, if you don't do what they say, they're going to use the sticks. They're just openly threatening us now. This is you're right there. You can see in the background of the video. World Economic Forum. These idiots. Unbelievable. 
directly threatening us. Carrots and sticks, but in the beginning, probably more sticks. Wow. Wow. <sighs> Amazing. Hey, you want to make some extra money? Hong Kong's got a great offer for you. Mm, check this out. $120,000 as a bounty for human rights dissidents living in the U.S., Australia, and the U.K. There's the pictures. Photos of eight activists that have been issued arrest warrants over national security are displayed during a press conference in Hong Kong. Yesterday, Hong Kong police are offering $1 million in USD. That's about 127000 bucks. Bounty for information on eight human rights dissidents who are currently either in the U.S., the U.K., or Australia. Yesterday, the National Security Department of the Hong Kong Police Force issued arrest warrants for the eight individuals. Allegedly, they contravened the national security law. This law passed by Beijing's rubber stamp legislature, no surprise there, back in 2020, and received widespread criticism for eroding the long-running one-country-two-systems model that enriched, uh, ensured, rather, British rule and the law of, uh, over Hong Kong. Now... No, doesn't work that way anymore. They pass it in Beijing. It goes into effect in Hong Kong. One country, two countries, one rule. The eight individuals have been accused of endangering Hong Kong's national security. More specifically, the allegations of incitement to secession, subversion, incitement to subversion, and collusion with a foreign country. So, if you happen to know where these people are, there's some bucks in it for you. $120,000. Just turn them in. Off you go. I would hope you wouldn't take part in this ridiculousness, but money talks, bullshit walks, and you know the way the rest of that saying. So, there you go. All right, what else we got? Oh, yes, more on the climate. <laughs> oh, my God, these people, honest to God. In hot news, Americans really aren't beset by extreme weather. Yeah, it's from the Daily Signal. It's a very cool article. You got to check it out. The link is in our show notes. Extreme heat kills more people in the U.S. than any other weather hazard. That's the claim in a Washington Post piece, left of Lenin, Washington Post, about deadly summer heat. Hmm, let's see, it's summer and it gets hot. <gasps> Climate change. Certainly it's false. Similar warnings about the deadly weather appear in virtually every mainstream media outlet. You've seen the, the charts where the temperatures are shown, and on one, previous to all this climate change bullcrap, 
it has the temperatures, you know, it's like 75 here, 85 there. And then the next map, which is a current one, all in bright shades of red, danger, warning, temperatures going through the roof, and the temperatures are 75 here, 85. They're all just the same. It's just the graphics they're trying to fool you with. <clears throat> Extreme weather accounts for about 0.1 death out of every 100,000 people in the U.S. every year. 0.1 massive drop from the time of your grandparents. The Washington Post and others should be celebrating the fact that humans have never been less threatened by the climate in all of our recorded history. Serious. The Post also warns 62 million Americans may be exposed to dangerous heat today. That's a lot of people considering nearly all of them live in the southernmost spots in the country. And it's summer. It's the middle of summer, you morons. The Post counts anyone exposed to heat over 90 degrees as being in some level of danger. Hey, Post people, let me give you a suggestion. Come here, live where I live. Hmm? Yeah, where the average daily temperature is about 30, is, uh, 30 Celsius. You do the conversion. It's hot. It's been 34, 35, a couple of days in a row. Anyway, nowhere in the piece do the authors tell us exactly how many Americans have perished from the oppressive heat. Anyway, it's around 700 people a year, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. If you liberally count heat as both the underlying and or contributing cause, it's about 400 people when heat is the underlying cause. And while that is a terrible number, it's 3,600 fewer people than those who drown every year. So... Once again, the Washington Post is just contributing to this bullcrap, scare-tactic garbage. Why anybody would continue to read that garbage newspaper beyond me. Unfreaking believable Just dump the Post, please. Please do not, do not read articles in the Washington Post. It's pure bullcrap. All right, I got an amazing video coming up right after this one. I saw this on Twitter, and I don't know what this is. It's from a Twitter account called Nicola3, at Ronin1921-7435. The link's in our show notes. You're going to want to check out the link because this is weird. Yes, I know we live in an age where AI and, I mean, look, I'm in the visual effects business as a full-time job. I can create almost anything, and you won't know. In fact, if we do our job right at Studio Voxel, you never see our work because we, our visual effects are designed for you not to see them, for you to be fooled. But I 
don't think this is visual effects. It's very rough security camera footage or camera footage. It's black and white. And I don't know what this entity is. I may have to play it a couple of times. But apparently he was protecting his host from getting mugged. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But take a look. Watch. You look right here. Do I have my mouse back? Not yet. Okay, there's my mouse. See this guy here? Apparently this guy is mug, mugging this guy on the ground. There's only two people in this video. It's circled so you can keep an eye on the action. But watch what happens. Watch this. Manifestation. See that? Look at that. And back inside. A, look at that. What the hell? Watch it again. I'll play it again. There you go. He gets up and where that comes from, I have no idea. And then watch as the guy gets up. Okay, that's just freaky. They have it in a, a close up here. Zoomed in. Look at that. That just doesn't look human. I'm getting goosebumps. Seriously. That's weird. If you want to watch it again, you can. The link is in our show notes. It is, wow. It's freaky beyond, I've never seen that. And like I said, I do visual effects for a living, partly. I, I, I don't think that's a visual effect. I don't know what the hell that is. I do know it's scary, though. Wow. All right. I am going to take about three and a half minutes to play the national anthem because this is the 4th of July. It's Independence Day. And Alex Jones put together what I consider to be an absolutely fantastic version, video of our national anthem. Enjoy. Oh, say can you early light what so proudly we held at the twilight's last
National Anthem. Absolutely incredible. I hope you enjoyed that. It was well worth taking a few minutes to uh, celebrate uh, the Independence Day. Hmm. Insane. Okay, it's time to move on to our book. We read books on this show, of course. We did lots of children's literature, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. And uh, recently we started reading 1984 from George Orwell. We're up to chapter 17. We're getting towards the end of the book, actually. And, of course, Winston has a copy of uh, Goldstein's book, which he is reading, and we're reading along with him. So uh, let's continue on here. It's chapter 17. We're about halfway through the chapter of uh, 1984 from George Orwell. The essential act of war is destruction, not necessarily of human lives, but of the products of human labor. War is a way of shattering to pieces or pouring into the stratosphere or sinking into the depths of the sea materials which might otherwise be used to make the masses too comfortable and hence in the long run too intelligent. Even when weapons of war are not actually destroyed, their manufacture is still a convenient way of expending labor power without producing anything that can be consumed. A floating fortress, for example, has locked it up in the labor that would have built several hundred cargo ships. Ultimately, it's scrapped as obsolete, never having brought any material benefit to anybody. With further enormous labors, another floating fortress is built. In principle, the war effort is always so planned as to eat up any surplus that might exist after meeting the bare needs of the population. In practice, the needs of the population are always underestimated, with the result that there is a chronic shortage of half the necessities of life. But this is looked on as an advantage. It's a deliberate policy to keep even the favored groups somewhere near the brink of hardship, because a general state of scarcity increases the importance of small privileges and thus magnifies the distinction between one group and another. By the standards of the early 20th century, even a member of the inner party lives an austere, laborious kind of life. Nevertheless, the few luxuries he does enjoy, 
his large, well-appointed flat, the better texture of his clothes, the better quality of the food and drink and tobacco, his two or three servants, his private motor car or helicopter, set him in a different world from a member of the outer party. And the members of the outer party have a similar advantage in comparison with the submerged masses whom we call the proles. The social atmosphere is that of a besieged city, where the possession of a lump of horse flesh makes the difference between wealth and poverty. And at the same time, the consciousness of being at war, therefore in danger, makes the handing over of all power to a small caste seem the natural, unavoidable condition of survival. War, it will be seen, accomplishes the necessary destruction, but accomplishes it in a psychologically acceptable way. In principle, it would be quite simple to waste the surplus labor of the world by building temples and pyramids, digging holes and filling them up again, or even by producing vast quantities of goods and then setting fire to them. But this would provide only the economic and not the emotional basis for a hierarchical society. What's concerning here is not the morale of the masses, whose attitude is unimportant so long as they're kept steadily at work, but the morale of the party itself. Even the humblest party member is expected to be competent, industrious, even intelligent within narrow limits. But it's also necessary he should be a credulous and ignorant fanatic whose prevailing moods are fear, hatred, adulation, and orgasmic triumph. In other words, it's necessary he should have the mentality appropriate to a state of war. It doesn't matter whether the war is actually happening, and since no decisive victory is possible, it doesn't matter whether the war is going well or badly. All that's needed is a state of war should exist. The splitting of the intelligence which the party requires of its members, and which is more easily achieved in an atmosphere of war, is now almost universal. But the higher up the ranks one goes, the more marked it becomes. It is precisely in the inner party that the war hysteria and hatred of the enemy are the strongest. In his capacity as an administrator, it's often necessary for a member of the inner party to know that this or that of war news is untruthful. And he may often be aware that the entire war is spurious and either is not happening or being waged for purposes quite other than the declared ones. But such knowledge is easily neutralized by the technique of doublethink. Meanwhile, no inner party wavers for an instant in his mystical belief that the war is real and it's bound to end victoriously, with Oceana the undisputed master of the entire world. 
All members of the inner party believe in this coming conquest as an article of faith. It's to be achieved either by gradually acquiring more and more territory and so building up an overwhelming preponderance of power, or by the discovery of some new and unanswerable weapon. The search for new weapons continues unceasingly and is one of the very few remaining activities in which the inventive or speculative type of mind can find any outlet. In Oceania, at the present day, science in the old sense has almost ceased to exist. In Newspeak, there is no word for science. The empirical method of thought on which all the scientific achievements of the past were founded is opposed to the most fundamental principles of Ingsoc. And even technological progress only happens when its products can in some way be used for the diminution of human liberty. In all the useful acts, the world is either standing still or going back. The fields are cultivated with horse plows while books are written by machinery. But in matters of vital importance, meaning, in effect, war and police espionage, the empirical approach is still encouraged, or at least tolerated. The two aims of the party are to conquer the whole surface of the earth and to extinguish, once and for all, the possibility of independent thought. There are therefore two great problems which the party is concerned to solve. One is how to discover, against his will, what another human being is thinking, and the other is how to kill several hundred million people in a few seconds without giving warning beforehand. The scientist of today is either a mixture of psychologist and inquisitor, studying with real, ordinary minuteness the meaning of facial expressions, gestures, tons of tones of voice, the testing of truth-producing effects of drugs, shock therapy, hypnosis, and physical torture. Or he is a chemist, physicist, or biologist, concerned with only such branches of his special subject as are relative to the taking of life. In the vast laboratories of the Ministry of Peace and in the experimental stations hidden in the Brazilian forests or in the Australian desert or the lost islands of Antarctic, the teams of experts are indefatigably at work. Some are concerned simply with planning the logistics of future wars, others despise larger and larger rocket bombs, more and more powerful explosives, and more and more impenetrable armor, plating. Others search for new and de deadlier gases or for soluble poisons capable of being produced in such quantities to destroy the vegetation of whole continents or breeds of disease germs immunized against all possible antibodies. 
Others strive to produce a vehicle that shall bore its way under the soil like a submarine under the water, or an aeroplane as independent of its base as a sailing ship. Others explore even remoter possibilities, such as focusing the sun's rays through lenses suspended thousands of kilometers away in space, or producing artificial earthquakes, tidal waves, by tapping the heat at the Earth's center. But none of these projects ever comes anywhere near realization, and none of the three superstates ever gains a significant lead on the others. What is more remarkable is that all three powers already possess in the atomic bomb a weapon far more powerful than any their present researchers are likely to discover. Although the party, according to its habit, claims the invention for itself, atomic bombs first appeared as early as the 1940s and were first used on a large scale about 10 years later. At that time, some hundreds of bombs were dropped on industrial centers, chiefly in European Russia, Western Europe, and North America. The effect was to convince the ruling groups of all countries that a few more atomic bombs would mean the end of organized society and hence of their own power. Therefore, although no formal agreement was ever made or even hinted at, no more bombs were dropped. All three powers merely continued to produce atomic bombs, store them up against the decisive opportunity which they all believe will come sooner or later. And meanwhile, the art of war has remained almost stationary for 30 or 40 years. Helicopters are more used than they were formerly, Bombing planes have been largely superseded by self-propelled projectiles. The fragile, movable battleship has given way to the almost unsinkable flying fortress. But otherwise, there's been very little development. The tank, the submarine, the torpedo, the machine gun, even the rifle and the hand grenade, still in use. And in spite of the endless slaughters reported in the press of thousands or even millions of men were often killed in a few weeks, have never been repeated. None of the three superstates ever attempts any maneuver which involves the risk of serious defeat. And that's where we're going to cut it off for tonight in chapter 17. I think we will finish up that chapter tomorrow night. We'll get through it. All right, cool beans, man. I'm telling you, do you hear some of that stuff? I'm shaking my head while I'm reading it thinking we're living in it. We absolutely are living in it right now. George Orwell was very prophetic when he wrote that book. Insane. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us. Hey, enjoy your 4th of July. Truly spend it with your family and your friends, the people you love, and uh, celebrate in whatever way you can. Really uh, hope you have an absolutely amazing 4th 
of July. I will see you again tomorrow. Snort. <laughs>